Please be aware the stories, theories, reenactments, and language of this podcast are of an adult nature and can be disturbing, frightening, and even in some cases, offensive. Therefore, listener discretion is advised. Hey, there is very adult content ahead and you have been warned. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I'm your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the weird, wonderful, unexplained, eerie, scary, and downright unbelievable. There will be tales of ghosts, murder, supernatural beings, and unexplained mysteries. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, relax, and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, we're going to be exploring a story that was recommended to me by a local contact, and since we've never explored a Georgia story, I thought, well, you know what? It's about time. (laughs) But before we get to today's story, we do have a little business to conduct first. That's right. As always, we will be playing our drinking game, But again, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have, well, nowhere else to go tonight because we have no lives. Now, please remember to drink responsibly or at least pass out before you, you know, get sick. And since we're going to be focused on Georgia tonight, I think maybe we could make the drink of the day peach schnapps. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Maybe not. Maybe some strawberry wine. But if you really want to get into this spirit, you could do a little moonshine or even a little Boone's Farm wine. You know, whatever. Pick your poison. Just don't mix and match because, you know, make you sick. All right. Now that we have the what, now for the how. Is that right? Maybe not. Maybe it's flipped around. I don't know. Eh, who cares? You guys know what I mean for the game part. Every time I say corpse wood, that will be a single shot. And every time I say devil or any form thereof, that's going to be a double shot. Now that we have the business end out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's dark enigma and the mystery of Corpsewood Manor. Corpsewood Manor. Hmm. Such a name just seems to be ripped from the pages of some backwoods horror novel, doesn't it? Yet, Corpsewood Manor is all too real. And in December of 1982, this hand-built brick mansion in the woods of northern Georgia played host to a brutal double murder. In 1976, on the occasion of his 50th birthday, Charles Scudder quit his job as a professor of pharmacology at Loyola University in Chicago to move with his two dogs and his longtime partner, Joseph Odom, to a 40-acre parcel of land the couple had purchased outside Somerville, Georgia. Dr. Charles Scudder came from a wealthy family and worked as a professor of pharmacology at Chicago's Loyola University, a good job by his own definition. Described by those who knew him as brilliant, polished, and soft-spoken but confident, Scudder eventually grew fed up with city life and, in 1976, left the luxury of his Chicago mansion in pursuit of a much simpler life. As he put it, Scudder longed for an escape from taxes, light bills, gas bills, water bills, heating bills, and the helpless feeling that resulted from watching my old neighborhood disintegrate into an urban ghetto. 
So the 50-year-old chose an isolated spot in the North Georgia woods to begin his new life. But Scudder's homosexuality was far from the only secret he'd been keeping all this time, for in addition to that, he was also an official member of the Church of Satan. Moving to the Bible Belt, you know that can't possibly be good. After leaving behind most of his worldly possessions, he escaped for the South with his lover Joe Odom, constructing a new residence by hand in the depths of the forest. Living in a camper, Scudder and Odom built by hand the strange backwoods edifice that would become known as Corpsewood Manor. Scudder even penned an article for Mother Earth News in 1981, documenting his fresh start in the country. As Scudder said, open quote, Within two short years, we were living in an elegant mini-castle, end quote. They called it Corpsewood Manor, named for the hauntingly bare autumn trees that dotted the area. Sure, okay. To complete their country manor, the two added on a three-story chicken house. The first floor was for the poultry and food storage, the second for canned goods and the couple's pornography collection, and the third was, well, their pink room, also known as their pleasure chamber. Although if they're gay, why would they call it the pink room? Okay, I'm, I'm putting way too much thought into this. Sorry, guys. When the couple finished, they had not merely a two-story brick home, but also a number of outbuildings, including that three-story chicken house with a furnished top floor, named their pink room, where they entertained guests. As it turns out, there was much more to the soft-spoken, secretly Satanist doctor than met the eye. Even at Loyola, Scudder's work was not that of a typical academic. For one, he performed government-funded experiments with mind-altering drugs like LSD. Meanwhile, he did things like dye his hair purple and kept a pet monkey. And when he left Loyola for Corpsewood Manor, he took a few souvenirs with him, including two human skulls and about 12,000 doses of LSD. And with souvenirs in hand, Scudder was free to express his Satanism within the confines of Corpsewood Manor. This forest sanctuary was guarded by two mastiffs, Beelzebub and Arsenath, one named for a demon and the other for an H.P. Lovecraft character. Local legend adds that the pair also summoned a real demon to assist the dogs in guarding the house. Fittingly, Scudder and Odom also decorated Corpsewood Manor with various gothic paraphernalia, including the skulls that Scudder had swiped and a pink gargoyle he had bought from his old mansion. Scudder himself thought of Corpsewood Manor as more like a mausoleum, a tomb requiring care, cleaning, and endless costly repairs. Scudder also fashioned a stained glass window adorned with a prophet known as Bathobet, an important figure in the Church of Satan. And while Scudder took his Satanism seriously, it's important to understand what exactly that religion meant to him. Scudder, like many other members of the Church of Satan, don't actually worship Satan. They are instead an atheist who choose to celebrate the base worldly pleasures that he and other church members felt were denied to humans by the Abrahamic religions. And celebrate such pleasures they did. Scudder and Odom liked to invite guests over for wild sex parties centered on the pink room. 
Indeed, painted entirely pink, this pleasure chamber was filled with mattresses, candles, whips, chains, pornography, and even a logbook listing guests' sexual predilections. With Scudder and Odom encouraging all their corpsewood manor guests to indulge their every whim in a haze of sex and drugs, things were bound to eventually implode. I know you're waiting for the pun, right? All I'm going to say is think Red Room from the new Fifty Shades of Grey stupid movie. Anyways, but things ultimately came to a far bloodier end than anyone would have likely been able to imagine. Among the locals that Scudder and Odom invited into their home for parties and sexual adventures of one kind or another was a 17-year-old by the name of Kenneth Avery Brock and Kenneth's roommate, 30-year-old Samuel Tony West. Like many people in the area, Brock had requested and received permission to hunt on the couple's property and had enjoyed their hospitality and even their homemade wine. Some speculate that Brock may have become sexually involved with either one or both of the men, or that he may have attempted to initiate sexual contact only to be rebuffed. Regardless of the nature of the relationship, the blissful lifestyle which the couple enjoyed led Brock to assume that they were quite wealthy, when in fact, Scudder and Odom had sunk everything they had into their secluded homestead. And while these acts were reportedly consensual, the Pink Room parties are the reason that on the night of December 12, 1982, Corpsewood Manor would turn into a bloody murder scene. In the winter of 1982, Brock moved into the trailer home of Samuel Tony West and began telling West about the queer devil worshippers who were, he believed, hoarding a fortune in their isolated estate. The pair hatched a plan to rob the couple and start a new life for themselves. On the night of December 12th, Brock and West set their plan into motion. On the way out to Corpsewood Manor, they picked up a rifle from Brock's mother, which they said they were going to use to hunt rabbits. They also picked up Joey Wells and his date, Teresa Hudgens. On their way out to the secluded house, the quartet huffed a combination of alcohol, paint thinner, and glue known as a tootaloo. Yes, because in Georgia, we make up ridiculous names. Get over it. It's called a tootaloo. Upon their arrival at Corpsewood, everything started out like normal. They were greeted warmly by Scudder, and all of them climbed the 40-foot ladder into the pink room, where they sat around drinking Scudder and Odom's homemade wine. Before long, Brock went out to the truck, supposedly to get more tootaloo. Instead, he returned carrying the rifle. Now, information is scarce and reports vary, but according to Amy Petula's The Corpsewood Manor Murders in North Georgia, Brock had several homosexual encounters with Scudder at Corpsewood, and eventually Brock brought Wes there for more of the same, or at least the free booze and drugs. However, West not only strongly objected to any kind of homosexual activity, but also convinced Brock that he'd been taken advantage of by Scudder. Again, whether Brock had actually been taken advantage of remains unclear. We'll never know the truth. Nevertheless, Brock and West decided to return to Corpsewood and rob the two men in their isolated forest home. So Brock and West, with two teenagers named Joey Wells and Teresa Hudgens, along for the ride, headed out to Corpsewood Manor with guns in tow. However, things didn't start off violently. 
Initially, the four guests acted as if they were just there to hang out and accepted Scudder's offer of homemade wine as well as a potent, a potent huffing mixture of varnish, paint thinner, and other chemicals. At some point during this drug and alcohol-fueled haze, Brock got down to business, retrieving the rifle from the car and promptly shooting Odom and the two dogs. Then Brock and West showed Scudder the bloodbath and did all they could to force him to give up whatever money he had. According to later testimony, upon seeing the gun, Charles Scudder, probably already a little intoxicated, giggled and said, bang, bang. It was a last gasp of jovality before things became incredibly grim. Scudder was held at knife point and ordered to give up his non-existent fortune. Odom was surprised in the kitchen of the main house, and he was short four t- shot four times. Brock also killed the couple's two mastiffs who never stirred from their place beside the fire. Bound and gagged, Scudder was led from the pink room to the main house, where he was confronted with the body of his companion. What Brock and West hadn't realized is that there were no riches at the house of any kind. And when they did eventually accept this fact, they shot Scudder five times in the head, took what little valuables were lying around, and fled the scene. Scudder's last words were supposedly, I asked for this, before West shot him five times. And what he meant by those cryptic final words is just one of the mysteries left behind by the brutal slayings in the woods of northern Georgia. Months before his death, Scudder had painted a self-portrait in which he was portrayed with a gag in his mouth and what looked like bullet holes in his head. Did he have some strange premonition about his own death that he was actually painting? Immediately following the brutal slaying, the two perpetrators fled in Scudder's jeep, which had white pentacles painted on the doors. The bodies of Scudder and Odom weren't found until two days later, when a friend came by their secluded house to notify them of the death of another acquaintance in nearby Rome, Georgia. Meanwhile, looking for a less conspicuous getaway vehicle, Brock and West kidnapped Navy Lieutenant Kirby Phelps from a rest stop near Boniva, Mississippi, with the intention of tying him to a tree and stealing his vehicle. While Brock was unloading the jeep, however, West shot Phelps twice. The two men then split up. Brock voluntarily surrendered to the police in Georgia on December the 20th, while West did the same in Chattanooga, Tennessee on Christmas Day. Unfortunately, in the media circus surrounding the murders, Charles Scudder and Joseph Odom became victims once again, this time in the court of public opinion. Being openly gay and also interested in the occult, Scudder had joined the Church of Satan to see what it was like, according to a friend. The two were easy targets for the satanic panic that was sweeping the nation at the time. It didn't help that, during his confession, West said, All I can say is there were devils and I killed them. That's how I feel about it. Crime Feed reports that both men were found guilty. Brock received three consecutive life terms while West was sentenced to death. West's death sentence was, of course, later overturned on appeal. And today, both men are still behind bars. Stories began to circulate about the couple's unusual homestead probably helped along by the fact that it has an ominous name as Corpsewood Manor. Even before a fire destroyed most of the non-brick portions of the buildings, people began to say that the place was haunted. 
Whether Corpsewood's alleged paranormal activity was due to the brutal murder of its inhabitants or the devil worshipping that supposedly went on beforehand depends on who you ask. Even to this day, those who visit the ruins of Corpsewood Manor say that they hear gunshots, the barking of dogs, or even the invisible strains of a golden harp. Scudder's beloved harp was too large for his murderers to cart it away with the meager handful of possessions that they stole before fleeing the scene of the crime. And those who take a brick from the crumbling remains of the building are said to be cursed for life. So, if you're in the market for an off-the-beaten-path summer vacation, then set your sights on the great state of Georgia, because we have great food, great people, and great times, and we also have The Walking Dead. And, surrounded by the Chattahoochee National Forest, is the former site of a brick mansion, now lying in partial ruin. Hand-built in 1977 by Dr. Charles L. Scudder, a retired professor from Loyola University in Chicago, and his partner, Joseph Joey Odom, the mansion served as the couple's dream home until their deaths. A narrow gravel drive, unmarked after all these years, leads to the site of forgotten history in the woods. Following a turn marked by a large stone with a cross and bearing the initials C.W. in spray paint, Pilgrims to the site passed through the forest via trail before arriving at the ruined remains of the couple's mansion. And though a fire destroyed much of the manor's non-brick elements in the mid-1980s, much still remains intact apart from the main house. The homestead's original outhouse, well room, and gazebo, still rising from the middle of the North Georgia mountains, suggesting the squandered potential not of devil worshippers, but two people who simply received no peace in death. Turning on to Mountain View Road from the main highway, Mountain View Road ascends the mountain and becomes a gravel road. Black Spring Roads is a sharp right turn off of this road, unmarked save for the small metal mile marker. After going through a few sharp curves on Black Springs Road, look to the left for a narrow gravel drive. There are two large stones here side by side. You'll have to park here and proceed by foot down the driveway. This trek will take you through the woods and will occasionally detour to bypass parts of the path blocked by fallen trees and debris. Continue to follow the path and after about 15 minutes of walking, you will see a very small clearing to the left. At this spot, look to the right and you will see two crumbling brick columns about three feet high. This is the entrance to the property. Turn right and proceed forward, but please be respectful of the property as you explore. Despite being private property, visiting is allowed, and local law enforcement has no problem with explorers as long as they are responsible and respectful. Bear in mind that you may encounter other individuals or groups while you do your exploring. So if you want to travel to the ruins of Corpsewood Manor, you can find directions online, but be wary when you head out, or at least respectful of the tragedy that took place there so many years ago. And maybe you can be one of the many who catches a fleeting glimpse of the souls still trapped there. And with that, my darlings, we've come to the end of our episode. And I do thank you for joining me today. I hope that you take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on what you think has happened. Or if you've got a story, let me know. You can always reach the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And hey, if you have a suggestion for a future show or you just want to tell me what you think, drop me a line. I do respond to every email. And on that note, 
that's all the time I have for today. So thank you for joining us here on Renegade Talk Radio. And don't forget to tune in next time, my heathens. See you next time. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.